Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof. Today's episode is going to focus on a tool that is out there that I recommend schools, meaning health teachers and other educators that work with children on the topic of sexuality. I also recommend parents and other caregivers use this tool, and it is the National Sexuality Education Standards. They were released many years ago. They were revised in 2021. And to help explain what this tool is and why it can potentially be a tool, I invited Nora Gelprin, who is the Director of Sex Education and Training at Advocates for Youth. Nora is also one of the co-authors of Advocates Rights, Respect, Responsibility, a K-12 sexuality education curriculum which was released in January, 2016, and it is used worldwide. I also have to say, I've met Nora many, many years ago at a conference. She just has this positive energy and comes from an honest place in my eyes. I'm a person who loves to be connected with people who truly want to do the best for children and their families. And I believe, I truly believe Nora is one of those individuals on this planet. So, Nora, thank you so much for being here today. And would you mind saying hi to our audience and telling us a little bit more about who you are? Sure. Thanks so much for the opportunity to be here and for those very kind words. I, like you, are someone dedicated to health and safety of our students, uh, particularly around family life and sex education. I've been working in the field for about 25 years um, and really just find it the most amazing and fascinating and uh, exciting and interesting topic of work. So I really bring my passion and my um, curiosity for this topic each and every day. It feels like a real honor to do this work. May I ask, were you trained in health education or sexuality? Sure. So (laughs) if you actually go back to my high school, um, I did a project on sex education my senior year in high school and then was able to find um, a psychology degree at the university level that actually allowed me a lot of freedom. So I did two full year internships at health education uh, organizations while I was in college, brought the AIDS Memorial Quilt to campus, uh, was part of a peer education group on campus, and then got my graduate degree in school health education, primarily. Um, in human sexuality and was able to teach the undergraduate human sexuality class at Temple University, go Owls, uh, where I'm an alum. So it was really exciting. (laughs) And you mentioned the quilt. And I remember going to Washington, D.C. with eighth grade students and seeing all those different quilts out there on the lawn at the monuments. Oh, my gosh. Because I think some of us got into this field of health education and sexuality because of HIV. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I brought it to, I was part of the team should say that brought it to our college campus in 1994 um, where I went to school in upstate New York. Um, And it was so incredibly powerful to see the undergraduates and really the whole school community, some who had had, you know, personal experiences connected to HIV and AIDS, some who would never experience this. And just the, the power of the quilt itself was really transformative. It was a really great experience. And I don't know if I ever told you this, Nora, but how I got interested in health education, particularly school health and the prevention aspect, was I worked part-time as a phlebotomist at a hospital. And I met people that had full-blown AIDS and they were on the AIDS wing. And I remember hearing some of the prejudice against people. Mm -hmm. And I was very naive, very like not necessarily sexually engaged, yet I didn't think it was ethical. It wasn't kind to kind of have that message of, well, you deserve what you got because people are doing the best they can with the tools that they have. So that really impacted me. Wow. Yeah. There was so much ignorance and injustice uh, back in those days when so little was known and yet lots of policy was informed by fear and there was so much shame and stigma. It's just, uh, it was a heartbreaking time. It's a lot of that we see mirrored right with how COVID was really um, dealt with in the very beginning, a lot of that fear and panic kind of informing our public health policies and uh, yeah, the importance of science and data and evidence to (laughs) make decisions. Which leads me to the question of the national sex education standards, because I use those as a tool I use those when I worked with Chicago public schools, when Mm -hmm. I helped them redo their sex ed curriculum K through 12. And can you give us a little background about what they are? And it's the initials are NSES, but it stands for the National Sexuality Education Standards. Absolutely. Yeah. So they were first developed by a team of experts back in 2012. It's the first ever guidance document to help schools and state departments of education really figure out what's uh, in the best interest of young people to learn and be able to do across all grade levels. So we had people from adolescent medicine, adolescent development. Uh, We had folks that were educators and school administrators, school psychologists and counselors. Everyone really came together to really look at So when we're teaching about an issue like healthy relationships or consent, what do second graders need to know versus fifth graders versus eighth graders? And it was really exciting to be part of that initial team of, I think there was over 50 of us um, that looked at uh, what's the knowledge that young people need to know, and then what are the skills associated with that so that they can not only have the information, but also around negotiation and communication, make sure they have those skills that can help them make healthy decisions, both now um, in their K-12 experience, but also to last a lifetime. Is there a way you can explain what age and developmentally appropriate means? Sure. So I think a lot of times people get confused around what sex education actually is. There's worries that it's really graphic in nature or it's not going to match what students are able and ready to learn. I think a helpful analogy can be math, right? So when we want students eventually be able to learn how to do long division or to understand fractions or geometry. We don't start by teaching geometry in kindergarten. We start by teaching what numbers are. And then we start by teaching the sequence of numbers and then addition and then subtraction and so on and so forth. So just like with 
sex education, you don't start with topics related to pregnancy and contraception. You start with topics of here's your body and here's how to keep it healthy. Here are our friendships and here's the difference in what families look like. Here's healthy relationships. And so then as they become friends and then as they become in middle school, potentially interested in romantic relationships or up in high school, it could even get more complex. You just start to build on those topics, making the information more cognitively complex making the skills more complex as well as the students are able, uh, as they mature and develop and are able to handle that additional instruction. So just like with any other content area, you start with the basic building blocks and add to them as students grow and mature. I love that you raise the topic of different types of families because that is for the younger grades, kindergarten, first and second grade, that is a concept that once, if they haven't been exposed to peers who become their friends, and then there's different types of families, this is a way to show, yeah, that there are different types of families. Absolutely. It's not always a mommy and a daddy right? that's in the household. Yeah. And we want every student to come to school and feel safe and feel like they're in a community that affirms who they are. And so families that uh, where a child is being raised by a grandparent or by foster parents, or one parent may be incarcerated or deceased, or you may have students that have two moms uh, or two dads or, you know, being raised by other family members. We want that all to be normal and healthy. We want all of our students to feel like my family is comprised of people who love and care for me. Um, and that's the important components around families. Because the message to me, the, the reality is that you don't have to be even biologically related to a child to be a caretaker and to love them and to support their growth and wellness. Absolutely. Absolutely. When we really boil it down to families are based on love and caring and respect for each other, I think it really is regardless of the genetics, as you say, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I also know, like we, we talk about consent with younger people and sometimes that word automatically makes people think about saying yes or no to sex and really consent. It starts about other things. It's about, can I borrow your toy? Exactly. You know, can I hold on to your teddy bear and I have the right to go? No, this is mine because until I have ownership of what I know is mine, can I share it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then I think we expand from that into boundaries. And so if someone doesn't want to be hugged or tickled, or if they don't want to, you know, sit close and snuggle with you, that's absolutely okay. You get to decide what you're comfortable with and what you give consent to in really non-sexual ways uh, when we're talking to the youngest learners. And then it really develops as kids, you know, are experiencing different kinds of friendships and peer pressure. And then, you know, as they grow and develop. So yeah, consent is a really important foundation foundational concept that we want to start early and talk about often. <laughs> now, I said at the beginning of our recording today that the national sexuality education standards, they can be used as a tool by parents and other caregivers, because if you've never seen it, and I'll make sure there's a link in today's description to get access to the standards. When you look at them, there's great strands of K through two, three through five, six through eight, nine to 10, and then 11 to 12. And in each grade strand, there are topics that are broken down and there are charts that are there that you can just look at and go, okay, what is age and developmentally appropriate for my child? So would you agree that families can use this or have I just been looking at it differently? 
No, absolutely. I think it's a great guide for families. I think just like when you take a young child to the pediatrician and you look at where their height and weight is and you make sure that their you know development is progressing on a typical fashion, the same is true of the National Sex Ed Standards. It can really be helpful to think about sexuality development, just like we think of their emotional development, their social development, the, all the components of health and wellness. This is just another component that I think people know a little less about. Um, so it can be really helpful to think about, oh, wow, connected to their, you know, identity development, connected to their, you know, knowledge about different topics. There's something for every every grade, basically. (laughs) There are things we can be talking about and and issues we can be addressing in families. There's one big thing that I've had parents that I've interviewed in the past, when they looked at, at the standards, one thing that they forgot about as children are going through those pubertal changes is that how we perceive our body and that body image. And do you have any advice about that? And people talking to kids about that? Yeah, it's funny. I (laughs) said to my own family member one time um, on the birth of their child, like you are giving so many messages before your child can even speak. Um, When you are bathing them and when you're dressing them and when you're interacting with their body, think about all the messages about chubby thighs or, you know, big cheeks or, you know, how tall you are. So there's so many messages being sent to young children about their bodies that it's important that we as adults think about ways that we can do that in positive and proactive ways. So not just talk about boys being strong, but talk about girls being strong to not just talk about girls in terms of how physically attractive or cute they are, but also talk about all bodies in those ways to really think about some of the bias that can show up in some of our long held uh, beliefs or the ways we've been socialized around these kinds of things can be really important because kids are hearing, they're absorbing, even when it's a nonverbal, even when it's an eye roll or, you know, a facial gesture, kids are picking up on our messages. So it's really important to be mindful about being positive. So kids feel really good and healthy in the bodies that they live in. So does that connect with sex positivity? Because you are a person who I believe supports sex positivity. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Yeah, I appreciate the question because I think it's a great opportunity to clear up what I think people... think of when they hear this, this is idea that sexuality is a normal, natural, healthy part of being human, right? It's not that I'm pro people running out there and being sexually active before that's a decision that's right for them. It's this idea that we all live in bodies. We all have identities. We all have a variety of relationships and we want those to be healthy. We want those to be fulfilling based in trust and respect so that in our friendships and our family relationships and our romantic relationships and eventually sexual relationships, that that can be a positive part of our well-being. I used to explain to parents and other caregivers when they would come for back to school night at the high school or the middle school is that I don't really teach sex. I talk about a healthy relationship with one's own body and then with others, because at a certain age, usually they get a little bit more interested. Most people, some people never do, but I want them to be happy and healthy and know how to communicate Healthfully, because that's a challenge at times. <laughs> Absolutely. I think that's so true, right? To make decisions that you don't regret, but you feel proud of, right? Whether that's related to your friendships or whether that's in your romantic really asking someone out for the first time, you know, you want those to be memories that last a lifetime that make you feel good about yourself and not like, oh my gosh, what happened? Why did I do that? You know, that's just a, a horrible place to be. So the more information and skills we can give young people, the better and healthier decisions they could make. And I'm so in line with you because I tell my students 
that when you look at your past, we're all going to make mistakes. Yet for certain decisions, those pertaining to sexuality, I would, my wish for you is to look back and go, you know, that was something special. That was something that I don't have a regret about. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I knew what I was doing or I had full consent, whatever I was doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then for those young people that unfortunately are survivors of sexual assault or abuse um, or intimate experiences that they did not provide their consent, we want to make sure that they have lots of support and resources to get help through those traumas. Uh, Because those are real and they definitely impact future decision-making and how you feel about yourself. And that's why it's really important to talk to a trusted adult and get the help that you need. Yeah. Yeah, we try to do that sooner for young people so they can be as healthy as possible sooner Yep, because it's never a child's fault when that happens to them, for sure. Absolutely. Well, do you mind sharing some different strategies and techniques for parents and other caregivers about talking with young people about sexuality? Sure. So I think one of the... (laughs) best techniques that I use as a parent, and I've seen lots of parents use successfully, is use a ride in the car or a ride on the subway or a walk together, a shared activity where you're doing something else. And it can be a safe way to broach a conversation that may at the beginning feel a little uncomfortable. And I usually encourage parents of tweens and teens to not necessarily ask direct questions of their own kid, but more talk about what are you hearing from your friends? What's going on with kids in your grade or your age? It makes it a little easier to start easing into those conversations. And I always recommend that parents and caregivers always identify an outside trusted adult that they would feel comfortable for their kids talking to. So for my own son, he may not feel comfortable talking to me. Maybe I talk about it way too much, (laughs) but I've already identified, you know, I would love it if at any point you needed to get some advice or you were too uncomfortable to talk to myself. These are some other trusted adults that I think would be great for you to text or to, you know, jump on a Zoom with or, you know, talk to at any point because they can also give you some really great advice. So to make sure it's not just yourself or no one, that there's like a whole village surrounding kids, um, because we know that sometimes they may not want to come to their parents or guardians, even though we may want them to, um, so that who else in your community can be a source of support for your child. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I know sometimes we're concerned about another person talking with their child, but, and I'm not sure of this phenomenon when we think of our parents and sometimes grandparents, we don't always consider them as sexual beings. Mm, mm -hmm. I don't know why that happens, but (laughs) it does. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes, my own kid just was horrified to think about uh, his father and I having sex more than one time. He's like, I thought when you got to a certain age, like 50, it just stopped. You just didn't do that anymore. (laughs) It was hilarious. He was like, stop. I can't even. No, no, no. (laughs) You know, college students are still like that when, you know, if you think you're the only ones that do things, it's not, you know, you reach certain grade. It doesn't mean you're done. No, right. it's going to continue. And that's what I wish for you when you're 70. And they're like, no, <laughs> I can't think about that. Yes. Our level of discomfort is, is pretty yep. impressive. <laughs> well, do you have any advice for young people that might be listening in? Yeah, 
Yeah. So I think young people, it's always great to bring up the topic. I can't tell you how many times I've talked with parents and caregivers and they're waiting for their kids to ask them questions, or I assume if they wanted to know, they would bring it up. And I think a lot of times kids are waiting for parents and caregivers to do the same. And then you get a lot of silence in between. So I think it's really important to use things like popular TV shows or someone you follow on YouTube that's an influencer or, you know, lyrics in a song, current events that are happening in our country all the time as a great opportunity to start these conversations. What does my family believe about this? What is my, you know, cultural background? What are my faith beliefs? Uh, All those great things that only parents and caregivers can talk with their kids about. Um, Schools can supplement that with the medically accurate, complete information, but that values piece is so important to come from families and to be a conversation that's had around the dinner table or via text, or maybe you journal together, take a walk, you know, whatever it may be, Um, but to not be afraid to bring it up. Uh, Cause I think there's so much richness that can happen in those conversations. We just have to get over our little bit of fear or anxiety or uh, awkwardness to actually start those conversations. And I love that you recognize that it's great when a child goes to a parent, but the reality is if we are not modeling that for our children, where are they going to learn that from? Absolutely. Yep. So yep. which I'm going to do a plug here for the talk puberty app. That's why I created that. It, it's it's so simple to put on a phone or an iPad and to say, hey, look, this is what I found. Look, look at these questions. Look, what do you think about them? Make fun of the questions. I trust you because I have college students that use other cards or another app and they'll they'll make fun of what's on there, but it makes them practice how to talk and then it makes them ask additional questions, which is what we want young people to do. Absolutely. An app like that is ideal because it provides the structure to get those conversations started. So it's not me saying, hey, I'm your 12-year-old with this question. It's, oh my gosh, look at this app I found. This is the most hilarious question. What do you think about it? I don't know. What do you think about it? You know, it just starts that conversation going. So it's so great that that exists. Yeah. Thank you. It's just like we we are trying to provide tools to, to get these conversations to occur. Now, if there's a listener that would love to get in touch with you, Nora, how can they? Sure. So I'd be welcome to email anyone. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me. So it's just my first name, N-O-R-A, at Advocates for Youth, all words spelled out, dot O-R-G. And I'm going to make sure that that is part of the description. So if anybody wants to get in touch with Nora, email her. Also, I will put the link for how to find her at Advocates for Youth, including her background. And is there anything else you want to share or say before we end today's session, Nora? I just want to thank you so much for doing this podcast. I think it's so important for families to have lots of ways to learn this information when schools are sometimes being overly censored about what they can talk about. Um, It's really important we have other avenues for families to get this information and have these conversations generated at home. So thank you so much for doing this. I need to say thank you to you. Again, I love connecting with you. When, whenever I question, you know, are we doing the right thing? You're always a person that I can, in my own way, connect with and go, yeah, we're doing what's best for young people as well as adults. We're trying to create tools for people to have happy and healthy lives. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> so I thank you again for being here and to our okay. audience listening in. Feel free to connect with Nora or myself. Nora is Nora at advocatesforyouth.org. At 
Uh, that's her email. And again, I'll have the link. Mine is pubertyprof at gmail.com. And I thank you so much for listening in today. And I hope that you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information, as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.